Welcome to the Jabadoo Education Podcast, Episode 24. Almost all of science is three-dimensional. If you think about anatomy, if you think about the way a cell is, is um, laid out, if you think about plate tectonics, if you think about um, atoms and molecules and, and what they look like, all of that stuff is three-dimensional. And yet we're putting it on paper and asking kids to think three-dimensionally about it. And if they don't have the skills to do that, that's just, they, they can't get it. They can't get there. You're listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. I'm your host, John Ruths, and I'm going to introduce you to some of the leading professionals in the fields of education, psychology, and leadership to bring you the most relevant and up-to-date tips, tricks, and tools for you to use in your classroom. Welcome to Jabadoo. Hey, what's going on, teachers and educators, and welcome to this episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast. Today's episode is... Uh, pretty special for me. My guest today has, uh, she's already made numerous appearances on this podcast by way of my stories and references, so I figured it was time for you all to officially meet her. Today I sit down and chat with my mom. <laughs> so, um, not sure if, uh, you know, I'm really not sure if, if my mom was the reason I became a teacher or not, but um, she's definitely been a great influence and, dare I say, a role model for me. <laughs> She'll love that. Um, she recently went back and she got her PhD in uh, science curriculum and instruction, and uh, her dissertation focused on some really cool research in regards to spatial skills and uh, how they relate to the sciences. Um, spatial skills basically being uh, one's ability to think about three-dimensional spaces and objects uh, and anticipate and predict um, the outcomes of different physical manipula- physical manipulations on those spaces and objects, basically. So um, her research, which we talk about on this episode, uh, basically shows that students with low spatial skills have a much harder time with STEM classes, um, largely because STEM classes <laughs> require so much uh, three-dimensional thought um, and, and, uh, calculations. So, um, what's really cool though, is that based on her research, the best way to help students develop those spatial skills is not to do more work that requires spatial skills, <laughs> which is kind of counterintuitive. It's actually much simpler than that. Um, and we get into those details on this episode. So, uh, with the holidays fast approaching though, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that we are selling some really cool, really unique teacher tees. Um, that have some quotes that just let you show off your teacher pride, uh, whether it's a dress down days at schools or um, just general out and about running around. Um, so if you need a gift idea for yourself or for uh, your other teacher friends, um, a link to those t-shirts is available on our show notes page. Um, and we are now also doing a year-end contest. So from now until the end of uh, year 2020, um, you have the opportunity to win a $25 uh, gift card to Teachers Pay Teachers, um, which is a fantastic website. If you haven't checked that out yet, uh, go check out TeachersPayTeachers.com. Really, really uh, awesome site. So um, you can win $25 to that site or uh, your teacher quote T um, of your choosing. So all uh, all you have to do to enter this contest is to share an episode with a friend or colleague or leave a review uh, for this podcast or both. Uh, and details for that episode, or excuse me, details for that contest uh, can be found on our show notes page, as well as everything else for this episode. It can all be found on our show notes page at jabbedu.com slash show24. That is J-A-B-B-E-D-U dot com slash 
S-H-O-W-2-4. <laughs> and with that, let's get into my conversation with mom. All right. Today, other than a short stint as a dairy farmer on her family farm, my guest has been a science teacher for her whole career with experience at the middle school and high school levels. She was a finalist for the 2020 Pennsylvania Teacher of the Year and is currently uh, on a committee discussing the upcoming changes for Pennsylvania science curriculum and is a newly crowned doctor in education curriculum and instruction. And oh yeah, I call her mom. <laughs> mom, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. Welcome to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. Well, I'm so excited to be here for you <laughs> and yeah, for everybody and, else out there. Yeah. And for those of you who are shouting nepotism, um, hopefully you heard in that introduction that no, she's here on her own merit. I mean, uh, so I, I had you as a teacher for two years at high school. Um, and oh my goodness, my senior year, it was me and I think 11 other guys. And we just, <laughs> one, we were seniors and two, we just had a good old time. Um, but no, you're, you're definitely, I, I reached out to you a few days ago and said, you know what? I've talked about you enough on this podcast. You've gone back, you've gotten your PhD, you've got, you've done some cool research with, which is actually has some really beneficial information to it. It's time. It's time. Let's bring you on. Okay. <laughs> I got I've gotten the other ones out of the way. I can finally, or I can finally interview my mom now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell a story about you. You were about halfway Uh-oh. through college and you called me and you go, mom, did you know that there's physics involved with sound? And, and I'm like, I, I definitely taught you that your senior year. So there you go. <laughs> my senior year. That was, that was your mistake. You taught it my senior year. <laughs> Well, anyway, um, obviously, I know a lot of the stuff that we are going to talk about today. So it's going to be a lot of duplication uh, on our end because we've had these conversations before, but they are valuable conversations for everybody listening. So take us back. Uh, I always start every episode from the beginning. So what was your schooling experience coming through K-12? Maybe a teacher that stuck out to you for either positive or negative reasons um, and kind of what led you down the path of wanting to be a teacher? Oh, okay. Well, I am a third generation teacher. I had both of my grandparents, grandmothers on either side of my family were teachers, as well as my grandfather was a piano teacher. Uh, My mother was a teacher. All of her sisters were teachers. So I um, was definitely not going to be a teacher when I graduated. Um, although I have a clear memory of walking down the hallway in my senior year and watching my favorite chemistry teacher um, stand out in the hallway, greeting all the kids. And I thought, you know, teaching wouldn't be such a bad job. Um, mm-hmm. At that time, it was like you could wear nice clothes and um, you got the summers off. So. <laughs> <laughs> the three best so, things about being a teacher is June, July and August. Right. How many times have you heard that? It's very. The joy of teaching is that there is definitely a home and time balance. There's a balance between your personal life mm. and uh, your work life more so than a lot of other careers. So yeah, um, while that's, I think that's an important thing. But anyway, I headed off to Penn State with a, a planning to get a degree in animal bioscience and go on to be a veterinarian. And about my junior year, when I was sitting on a basically a 3-1 GPA and he needed a 4-0 to get into vet school. I had a head scratching moment and thought, well, 
let's let's take a look at teaching. And as soon as I stepped into the College of Education, um, I knew I was in the right place. Um, my professor up there, my advisor was Peter Ruba. Um, and I just knew all of a sudden everything made sense and I was excited about it and learning about it. So I graduated from Penn State with a uh, bachelor's in secondary education. I was certified both in chemistry and biology. And I went to York City School District and I student taught in, um, in William Penn um, High School with a fantastic biology teacher. And he got me interested in ski club and how you run a ski club. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. So I just had a really positive experience um, through those times. And so I guess my influences included my high school chemistry teacher who was the first one I know to give guided notes. And um, then my professor at Penn State, as well as my student teacher advisor. So those are the people that stuck out to me. Yeah. And then you spent uh, how many years as, because you, you got a teaching job right out of college uh, before becoming a dairy farmer. <laughs> that's a, that's a different story altogether. But Well, so that's the one thing. If you're listening to this podcast, if you want to be guaranteed a teaching job, get a, get a science degree. And Biology, maybe, but definitely chemistry or physics. You're, you'll you'll never not have a job. Hmm. Okay. Oh. <laughs> here, here I am sitting as a music teacher, twiddling, twiddling my thumbs. Thanks for the thanks for the career you, advice, Mom. No, no, no. no. <laughs> to say that, that you know, oftentimes, well, actually, that's not the case anymore because right now, um, my district can't hire a social studies teacher or an English teacher. We can't find anybody. That's insane. Those were like probably the two most popular options I feel like when I was in college so right, um, right. yeah so anyway um yeah you took uh took a what was it a 10 year uh hiatus from education um to go uh run the family dairy farm uh for a few years and then um you know that kind of dairy, dairy farming is is rough business so that that's a conversation for another time but you did uh circle back to um your education career and um you ended up getting a job at your alma mater your alma mater high school I did. So I walked into the classroom, the very classroom where I taught chemistry, where I learned chemistry. I became the teacher of it after um, my my high school teacher actually passed away. It was very strange because she's the one that wrote me a reference letter for a teaching job I took the year before as a, as a long-term sub. And so when it was time to apply for that job at the district, it was her that was giving me the reference letter, even though mm. she had passed. Um Anyway, so yeah, it just felt like it was the right place to be. Yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, so obviously, you know, I, I came through and uh, enjoyed, because uh, you were, so you enjoyed biology, you enjoyed chemistry, but then you transferred over and you became the physics teacher. And by the time I got to high school, you were you were teaching physics. So you've, you've really taught the whole gamut uh, in, in terms of science. And now that I'm gone and away and all your kids are out of the house, you are now teaching, what is it, uh, computer AP computer science now, and you're yeah. also the gifted education teacher. I mean, you just, I still teach physics. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. But yeah, you just, you, you've, uh, it seems like there's been so many doors that have opened and something has just nudged you in that direction. Um, and one of those was, uh, you had this opportunity to apply to be, uh, to apply for uh, Pennsylvania teacher of the year. So, um, which uh, you were a finalist for, uh, came down to it. This was what, about eight months ago now? 
Yeah, this um, time last year. Yeah. Yeah. So, what was it um, as a teacher? Um, what were some of the things that you feel like you did that put you into position to be nominated for uh, Pennsylvania Teacher of the Year? I feel like perhaps it it came back that that whole process started when I started working on uh, my national board certification. And I got working with one of the teachers at our district that is a national board cert. cert. So she got to know me and she had been a teacher of the year finalist 10 years ago. I didn't know, I did not know that. Um, But we got to know each other. And I guess um, as she was preparing to retire, she's like, there has to be someone at Chickalimi that that would qualify to do this. And by that time I'd been working on my my PhD. I had been, volunteering for various uh, committees in the district. I was working on um, the technology committee. I was working on the Act 48 committee. I was, um, I helped a little bit with the 50th anniversary. So I was definitely like trying to be a teacher leader from the classroom. And she just saw that in me. And so she's the one that actually nominated me. And um and then right. once you get nominated, you feel like you have to live up to that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that. Yeah, exactly. So you're like, oh, my gosh, I've been nominated for this. Now I really have to do these things. And, <laughs> and it's it's sort of like, you know, having those high expectations, creating, creating the, the monster, not the monster. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of you know? are a little bit. <laughs> education monster yeah exactly so these these expectations that someone sees that in you and then all of a sudden you see it in you and you didn't even know that it was in you so i mean what what a testament though to what power you have as a teacher over your students then too in that same sense right you know you you give students that little glimmer of responsibility and all of a sudden they might explode out and all of a sudden they're they're now taking responsibility left and right and it was just that that first chance that you gave them um and that's obviously not that's not uh just adults that's that is students that that can do that too exactly and and i'm at the high school level so i have that opportunity to say to students like some some computer students some kids i see doing really well the computer i say do you see yourself doing this because you're really good at this um and I especially want to be that voice for the underrepresented populations, uh, the women and the minorities, because, you know, they don't necessarily see that yet. Um, we're certainly we're, we're certainly more aware of that in this, you know, this crazy year of 2020. I think we've all been hit in the face with, you know, diversities, differences. Absolutely. Um, but now, now the, the next step is to act. And so it's to be an advocate for those kids and help them see themselves, uh, doing something that they wouldn't have thought about. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like you said, I think that that, you know, just this year, 2020 has kind of smacked (laughs) us in the face with some of these things for, you know, and for good reason, you know, um, you know, I've said it a few times that, you know, as a white male, you know, I, I sometimes feel a little inadequate trying to, you know, foster these conversations, but, um, you know, I, I forget who it was that I was ta- chatting with that said, use, not authority, what do you, um, use your privilege, right? Use your privilege for the underprivileged, right? Acknowledge your pri- privilege and use it in a way that is beneficial for those who are underprivileged. So, um, yeah, that was a little tangent there, but I, I just, I love the, the notion behind, um, you know, kind of what you're doing now with, with all these different things. And like you said, you know, that, 
uh, I, I love the image of planting a seed, which I think, you know, that, that term gets thrown around so much as, as teachers, you're planting little seeds left and right all throughout the year. And who knows which seed is going to take root and sprout up. Right. And you There's may no never idea. know. And you may never know. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and that, that was obviously, um, it was a great celebration. We went down to Harrisburg and, uh, we had a, a great time there. Unfortunately he didn't win, but, um, just being uh, nominated and being one of the finalists um, has really opened up a number of different opportunities now for you too, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I definitely, it definitely, uh, it's something to put into your resume. So I was able to, I, you know, I don't know if that was the only thing that got me that, but I was able to serve on the state committee for science, science curriculum. I think the PhD has opened up more opportunities maybe than that the science since the year but um I worked on the state science standards uh that they're rewriting and they're trying and tr to process it through uh through the political system now because right. you know so many things are po political these days so as you're writing the standards you're, you're mindful that you don't want to use language that will offend somebody or okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of just you have to roll your eyes because like, good Lord. But I mean, I I understand why that that is a conversation in the room where you're talking about all this stuff. Um, right. So there's yeah, so, that. Go ahead. And then but the, I maybe you're going to prompt me about the, the Fulbright opportunities or. No, no, go ahead and highlight that. Yeah, because that's that's a really cool um, thing that you were able to do, too, coming out of this. So. So one of my favorite things has been traveling and I have traveled for years with students. But if you ever want to um, do travel um, as a teacher, there are all sorts of opportunities. Um, and I just, just right now, my, my head just went ding. I just need to bring you back for a specific episode that's all about <laughs> how to leverage your, your privilege as a teacher into all these different travel opportunities. Anyway, it continue. It is a privilege. You know, so you can do it with students through all sorts of tour companies and take students around the world and open their eyes and, you know, but then there are opportunities like the National Geographic has opportunities for, uh, there's a teacher at sea program and Fulbright has a whole bunch of programs for teachers and administrators and all you, you know, so just look through them and do that. So I have had the opportunity to do two programs, um, one two years ago, and I'm doing one currently. Um, the one two years ago was an ICT program, which was a, um, which the international communication technology. And so I was flown to Hawaii and there were 12 Japanese, you know, so one of, one of 12 or 15 American teachers flown to Hawaii and same number from Japan. We met in Hawaii. Um, our whole idea was looking at earth and space science and we developed a global uh, uh, project where we interacted with Japanese students. And um, unfortunately, this spring, it sort of got messed up when they closed the schools down, but we have continued that collaboration. So I'm doing that same project again this year with my classes. Oh. <laughs> and it's, it's just so cool. I mean, like some of this stuff has happened after I've, I've left the high school, but um, like you said, it just, it, so many opportunities open up to you, um, with this, but, uh, taking a step backwards, because you mentioned the, what you were doing in Hawaii was all about science and global like stuff. And that just ties in so nicely with your PhD, which you earned, what was that a year and a half ago, right? 2019, I graduated 2019. 2019. Yeah. So, um, 
obviously I've, I've heard this story, but uh, you know, your, your dissertation, um, the research that you're doing for your dissertation uh, was really pretty unique. It was really kind of, uh, it's something that I had never considered before in terms of like how I think about science and how I think about learning science. Um, but it definitely has applications to all sorts of different um, subjects. Not It's not just science specific. So especially with the emphasis now on STEM, even at my school, at the elementary level, there's a STEM like push for you know, third, fourth, and fifth graders to start doing STEM activities. So um, take us through your, your dissertation research project. What was it that you were uh, setting out to do? So I started the whole process of going for the PhD because I saw these, I saw that women weren't going into STEM and I saw that boys in general weren't graduating from high school at the same quality. So I was really kind of curious about why are these, there these differences? Um, and my uh, advisor at Penn State was doing research with a, uh, well, he was building, he was helping to design a curriculum um, using a simulation on the computer. And um, I love, I love technology and I love using simulations in the classroom. Um, there's a whole lot of evidence that using a simulation before you actually go into the lab allows students to see how it all fits together. And then when they go to the lab there, it's a much more rich experience because they've had some background experience with it in a, sim in a simulation. Um, so this particular simulation though was designed to look at plate tectonics, um, which is something that you can't possibly do in the classroom because like <laughs> in central Pennsylvania, there are no volcanoes, there's no fault lines, there's nothing <laughs> like that. So there's maybe um, a landslide every once in a while. That's about as close as you get. <laughs> Exactly. But one of the one of the other uh, principal investigators so the PIs on that, um, she said that we don't even know how students spatial skills impact their ability to use this because it is a three dimensional. Uh, it's a three dimensional concept concept on a two dimensional screen and and how does that impact student learning so let's, so let's pause right there and just can you define what is spatial recognition what is spatial learning so there's there's a whole lot of different skills that go along with spatial skills um, but some of the ones that you, that i studied in particular were like the things you do as a kid. So here's a Lego. Can you switch it around in your head and decide what it looks like? So that's called perspective taking or also, well, it's really not perspective taking. That is a mental rotation. Can you rotate this object three-dimensionally in your head? And that's super important in science because almost all of science is three-dimensional. If you think about anatomy, if you think about the way a cell is, is um, laid out, if you think about plate tectonics, if you think about um, the, the, um, I'm sorry, atoms and molecules and, mm -hmm. and what they look like. All of that stuff is three-dimensional. Sure. And yet we're putting it on paper and asking kids to think three-dimensionally about it. And if they don't have the skills to do that, that's just, they, they can't get it. Mm -hmm. They can't get there. Um, oh, where am I? Where was I going? <laughs> <laughs> I just asked you about the spatial skills. As okay, part okay. Of your that's research, mental rotation. So. Um, another one is paper folding. So if if I fold a paper and I cut little corners out of it and I unfold it, what's it going to look like? like? So that whole snowflake idea, that paper folding mm. idea. Um, and then there is the perspective taking, which is, okay, here I am, I'm standing on the earth and I look up at the moon 
and I see a, you know, I say a full moon or a half moon or how, how does that, if I were standing on the moon, what would that look like? And if I were standing on the sun, what would I see? And, and that whole perspective, you know, if I were to move myself into another space, what would that look like? And some people are lousy. A lot of people are lousy at those kind mm-hmm. of things. Yeah, I think when I when I were talking about it earlier, the one that made a lot of sense to me was I think you said something about if you're standing on a top of a mountain and you look at there's another mountain peak down the hill or down the valley, what would it what would this valley look like standing on that other peak? Yes. Right. That's that's kind of the same concept that you're talking about here. So that's perspective taking. So those were the three skills. And there's been a lot of research in these for a lot of years. Um um in fact, in, uh, IQ tests have some spatial things that a Piaget talked about it, but it's just something that never clicked or never was something that we thought we could teach. We thought that it was something that you're just born with. Hmm. But like this whole growth mindset concept is that we've learned that, that all of these things can be taught and can be um, enhanced, but you know, what do you, what do you pick? <laughs> what do you yeah. pick? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so anyway, so what I did find with my research is that students that test low in spatial skills, and one of the things that I'll share then is uh, where people can get some spatial testing yeah. uh, things. Uh, but those students definitely struggle with understanding what they see on a computer screen. screen. And it's also, well, the other thing I found is that it's definitely tied to um, language. So if students don't have words for around, above, below, Mm. deep, you know, height, depth, width, all of those things, um, as a child, if you're teaching them, then they have words to go with that, what they're seeing, and um, it gives them a context for it all. So interesting. Yeah, that's I've I've heard that said before where we experience reality through the language that we speak, right? I know that this is a wall behind me because I've been told that that's a wall and that's the word that I've been given to it, so that's a wall, right? <laughs> um I know the color red is the color red because I've been told that's the color red, but uh, I think it was um if I remember correctly, it's Russia has three or four different color or words for the color red and each one is slightly different so in russia people physically see more shades of red than they do in the united states i think that it was something like that um but yeah there was a a fascinating uh study about colors and and the words that we have for colors and it actually affects how many colors you can physically see which is just fascinating so um yeah language plays a huge role in that and just having the ability to describe something using three-dimensional language, that's so fascinating that that plays such an important role in just your understanding of the three-dimensional space. Yeah. 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 So, and Very cool. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I guess you, you, you're talking about that study just reminded me of another one. Um, Go for it. Is that some languages don't have present tense and past tense to them, like uh, mm. Japan, Japanese, and Swedish or Norwegian, um, they they only have like a present tense. And Mm. those two nations are very good at saving money. Like they've they've correlated like whether or not they have a past or presence as to whether or not. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. 
Yeah, I don't know how important that is to this podcast. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just fascinating. Like, it just shows you how interconnected language is with, uh, with reality. So, yes, yes. Anyway, so you did this study with this program that that is showing three dimensional um, data on a two dimensional plane, right? And the students are having to to extrapolate that three dimensional knowledge. So, describe what so plate tectonics. Hopefully, everybody remembers what those are. But describe what what the data was that these kids were trying to uh, look up. The software um, had a globe, so so first off, it's circular, right? But the problem with it is that the globe that they were using was not circular, it was laid out flat on this computer screen. So it's Google Maps as opposed to Google Earth. Okay. Okay. Um, and then they were embedding earthquake data that you get from the earthquake center on there. And then they had color-coded the data to its depth in the earth. So red earthquakes were ones that were high in the earth and blue and yeah, high. See, here's all that. Right on the surface, right on the surface. Yeah, they were on the surface. Whereas the blue ones were deeper under the surface. But this, this software also had a tool that the students could draw a slice at some point across the earth and pull out a chunk of the earth rotate it so they could then see how the how the earthquakes their location in three dimensions under the earth so that whole process required perspective taking required mental rotation and required unfolding right that whole that um that uh, spatial orientation and you know some kids it was just way too much plus (laughs) you had an earthquake under the ocean so you had to factor in the depth of the, the water then? Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So, yeah. So then, so when you're looking at a map, you're seeing the colors are representing mountain peaks or they're representing the surface of the ocean or they're representing underneath the ocean. There's a lot of like, just looking down at a map is a lot of three dimensions that have to be interpreted. And I guess the take home message to teachers to take, there's two take-home messages. Number one is that science teachers generally have pretty good spatial perspective and understandings because they've been successful in science. And people that are not successful in spatial thinking tend to not go into sciences. Yeah, and that's that's what you confirmed with this research, then, right? Exactly. Well, yes, exactly. I mean, there's there there was another research study that said that, and elementary teachers do not have as good as spatial skills. So therefore, when they're teaching sciences, they may be having like sort of embedding these lack of spatialness in the sciences in elementary school. So the Mm. kids that aren't good aren't necessarily getting those skills to take with them to middle school. Mm. It's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It is a lot. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, when you, obviously I've heard this a number of times, so I, I feel like I can talk about it very knowledge, knowledgeably. <laughs> I'm, I'm more knowledgeable about it. <laughs> Let's go with that. Um, <laughs> man, our, my, my siblings and my, they're going to have a, a heyday with this as they listen to this because there's a running joke about you and I not having great language skills. So that's just hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, that, that idea that there's, we get books, we get textbooks, and we're learning information in those textbooks that is three-dimensional, but you're only ever seeing something that was two-dimensional, right? Now, luckily, in the last you know, 5, 10, 15 years, whatever it is, 
software has been able to come in and show those two-dimensional concepts in a virtual three-dimension world, right? You can swipe it on the screen, you can spin it, you can do all those, those rotations that previously you had to do in your own head, right? To mentally rotate these things. So um, coming out of that study, uh, what were some of the findings in terms of, um, you know, the, the gender disparities? Because I know that you said that was one of the, the things that uh, prompted you to go back for this degree was you wanted to help women in science and you wanted to help um, the other un- underprivileged uh, students in sciences. So what were, what were some of the findings that came out of that? There was not any remarkable difference between girls and boys. Um, with regards to my study. I have some data that I haven't actually analyzed yet about whether or not they played video games um, or not and compare those two. Um, There is is some evidence that kids that play video games tend to have higher, well, there's a lot of evidence that kids that play video games tend to have higher spatial skills because um, especially like first, I hate to say first person shooter, but they're the ones that'll put you in a map and you're in three dimensions and then the whole map is off on the side and you're lo- watching where you're going. And all of a sudden now your mind is embedded in three dimensions, right? As soon as you said that I went to first person shooter, I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Like if I'm, <clears throat> if I'm playing this game and I'm walking forward, there's a little map on the bottom, right. That that's a two dimensional map. It shows me where I am on the map, but I know like it, as I'm sitting here, what's behind me to the left. I just passed it. So I know what's back there. Right. But it's obviously it's all in the screen in front of me. So that's, that's fantastic. That's, that's really, really cool. Yeah. And so they find like playing Tetris and um, what's the, I can never remember it. It's the game that like Legos that you play online that the kids build things. Oh, uh, um, Minecraft. Minecraft. Yes. Like those sorts of things that put kids in a three-dimensional space is definitely helpful to them. But even before you let them onto the computer screen, you, they need the verbal language to to talk about these things. So, yeah, so cool. So, what is what is the message to teachers then? If if you're teaching middle school English, is there anything that they can get from this? I mean, <laughs> there might not be, but um, well, I mean, what's the general the general lesson for teachers to take home with this? The, the lesson is like if you're teaching English class and they're just like have them describe a, a pyramid like write out like what does a pyramid look like you know give the help them like form that language so they can think about it art classes is extremely that whole perspective taking that you do in art class is extremely important just um like learn to knit <laughs> learn to do origami you know like when you your fifth grade teacher was teaching you origami I'm he was immensely helping you think in three dimensions. Interesting. You know, and, and um, oh my word, teragrams, right? Uh, teragram is, it's a Japanese puzzle. It, it's a square. It's got seven pieces in it. Oh, like some triangles, some squares, some trapezoids. Yeah, okay. Exactly. And so teragrams have um, a, you can make different shapes with them. So you yeah. show the kids a teragram. It's just a silhouette. And then they have to use those shapes to come up with it like that. All of those things help the mind. So all of those things that you, that maybe have been pulled out of elementary curriculum for being not non-educational, um, not educational yeah. are super educational. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. but even like you and music, you know, uh, like words that I turn around and up, down and, mm-hmm. and you know, those words and, music is extremely helpful um just with temporal 
and timing and helping kids with that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, the, the concept of a steady beat is uh, somewhat fabric. Like that, that's not a natural thing. Yeah. You definitely have to work on that. Um, But it it exists outside of it's, it's experiential. You just got to feel the the steady beat. So that's, yeah, it all, it all ties together. Um, Yeah. Really, really cool stuff. Really. I'm so glad to finally bring you on and have this conversation with you because um, I've, I've, after talking with you about the research that you did, um, there's been one or two instances in my class where I go, that kid's spatial skills are not very good. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but the, 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 the take home message is that this is a learn, they can learn it. Mm-hmm. And so just because they're not good today, doesn't mean they can't be, you know, can't improve them. Yeah. You can improve your spatial skills. And they've, they've even found even to college freshmen, if they do a test with them and they find that they're lacking, they, they have done some skills as a college freshman, but wouldn't it be much better to do it to a third grader? <laughs> skills so they're not like, so that when they get to high school they don't select themselves out of the second year of chemistry because they didn't get the first year of chemistry because they didn't they couldn't imagine how electrons are floating around the nucleus yeah hmm Really, really fascinating. So if you are listening to this and you are like uh, maybe I mean it might apply to me just go forward this this podcast episode to your stem curriculum person. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll figure out what to do with this information. I promise. <laughs> Cause that's, I'm, I'm that's what my, in my head right now we have at my school, we have uh, somebody who comes in and is specifically teaching STEM activities. So um, yeah, definitely, definitely going to forward it, forward it to them. So you do the same thing, listener. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today that we didn't get a chance to cover uh, either in regards to some of the research that you've done, maybe a future project that you're working on? Um, anything? No, I think we've covered everything. I, I think people's minds might just blow out the back if we talk too if much. We- <laughs> 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 we'll get very, either that or we, we'll be sitting here thinking that this is really interesting and everybody else is just tuned out for the last 20 minutes and you know what, <laughs> it'll be like family dinner. <laughs> so with that then let's move on to our exit ticket questions these are the same four questions that i ask everyone and the first one is what book recommendation should teachers go read okay well there are just so many book recommendations that i that are out there but i'll tell you one that i've read recently which has nothing to do with anything we've talked about but it's called why we sleep <laughs> And, but it's, again, it's back to that whole brain and cognition. And one of the most important things we can do for our brain is to let it sleep at night and give it some time out. And there's just so much evidence that getting a good night's sleep will probably solve most of the world's problems. <laughs> so it's called Why We Sleep. And I actually would have to look up the name of the author. I'll get that to That's you. That's all right. We will link it in our show notes. Okay. And it's just like, um, you know, if you go and you exercise, you know, rest and recovery is such an important part of an exercise regime, right? You can't just work out seven days a week. You do need that, that one or two days off. So um, your brain does too. And it's called nighttime. <laughs> and you need it every night and you need, like, you can't make it up. Like lost sleep is lost sleep. There's very little you can do to make it up. So yeah. and there's all sorts of evidence that you know, Alzheimer's and all kinds of things. So it's, it's all that brain research. Yeah. Very cool. Question number two is, uh, do you have a resource that teachers should go check out kind of more along the lines of um, the work that you do? 
So I have two resources that I would, well, I've got a couple of different ones. So one of them is called the Spatial Intelligence and Learning Center. It's, um, it's at Northwestern University and um, it's S-I-C-L, but if you just Google S-I-C-L, you'll get all sorts of other acronyms. So you have to actually just call it the Spatial Intelligence and Learning Center. <laughs> and if you don't want to do that, you can just go to the show notes. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. But that has um, basically information that's a, it's a, basically a research site, but you can find, if you're interested in giving your students a spatial test, you can find different mm. tests on there that you can use. Okay, very cool. Was there another one that you wanted to... Well, I can talk about um, some simulation sites that I like to use in my classroom. Um, FET, uh, P-H-E-T at colorado.edu um, has fantastic online simulations. And they're in the process of moving a lot of them in from, uh, from Java to um, HTML because that's what's working on Chromebooks and that's what most people are having in, in mm. iPads. And then the one that I did my research with is Concord uh, Consortium, and they have all sorts of online simulations for science and curriculum to go with it. And one of the unfortunate things about science education is that not every science teacher is highly qualified. And so uh, uh, Concord really develops these really good, rich curriculums that can help uh, science teachers that maybe are not adequately prepared to be teaching a course that they're in. Mm. And uh, so those are the two sites for that. And then the other uh, place I would send people is to ambitious science teaching practices um, and ambitiousscienceteaching.org. So. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And all of those will be linked on our show notes page. <laughs> uh, question number three is what piece of advice would you like to give teachers, especially those who are just starting out their careers? Um, so I would say, aside from not taking yourself too seriously, um, the second thing I would say is that you are a teacher because you loved, most likely you loved school and you loved learning. And um it came as a shock to me in my first few years of teaching that not everybody feels that way. And so you have to remember that your worldview is not necessarily your students' worldview. And you're going to have students that love to learn, but you are going to have an equal number of students that have had bad experience in school or just aren't like, I don't know, the curiosity has been smacked out of them. Mm -hmm. And um, so your job is to find that, find the, find the edge of their knowledge where where they're confused but not frustrated mm. and uh, <laughs> I like that <laughs> and um, so if a student says to you I'm confused say good you're about to learn something <laughs> <laughs> I love it and if you're listening to this and you say that sounds familiar because I've said it before you wonder where I got it <laughs> <There Yeah>. it <laughs> So yeah, so the big thing yeah. is so you, not every student sees the same way and they probably are missing some sp spatial skills. So they're not definitely not understanding <laughs> what you're saying at all if you're talking about something. <laughs> yeah, fair, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> and then the last thing is if anybody wants to reach out or has any questions about anything that we talked about today, where would be the place to send them? Um, my Gmail account is probably the best. So it's my initials, CME Ruths, R-U-T-H-S at gmail.com. So cmeruths at gmail.com. There we go. Cmeruths. 
Well, Dr. Colleen Marie Epler-Roots, <laughs> mom. <laughs> yes, son. Thanks for joining me today. This was this was fantastic, and I, I think it, there was some there was a lot of great value in that conversation, and I'm glad that we got a chance to finally sit down and and let the listeners have it. <laughs> well, thanks, and um, yeah, I am again honored, and now I have to live up to everything I said today. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. All right. There you go. Um, yeah. Special thanks to mom <laughs> for coming on the podcast episode. And uh, I mean, hopefully you heard it. I mean, she um, I, I just I, I really admire her for going back and getting her Ph.D. And, and for all the doors that have opened up and all the opportunities that she's been able to take advantage of now. Um, it's just super cool. So um what I got from this episode um, was what I thought was so cool is that no matter what we teach, we can all help to develop students' spatial skills simply by adding the language to our lessons, right? Um, focusing on using words like inside, outside, under, above, near, far, uh, below, um, around, etc. You know, all of this uh, will help to develop those skills that are so necessary for students. Um, especially elementary age students, to succeed in STEM classes. Um, using the right languages is what will help develop those three-dimensional spaces and objects um, awareness, right? That is so necessary for STEM classes and for the sciences in general. So um, again, if you are interested in learning more about this, uh, those three links uh, that my mom mentioned. Um, they really are. They've got some awesome uh, programs and notes, so go check those out. Uh, links to that is available on our show notes, again, at jabadoo.com slash show24, where you will also find information about uh, the teacher quote tees, which are currently for sale, available for purchase, and a great way for you to help um, support this podcast and the production costs that go into it. So, um, Go check those out, as well as our year-end contest, which is now running. Uh, your chance to win a $25 Teachers Paid Teachers gift card or uh, your teacher tee uh, of your choosing. So check out the details for those. Everything is linked up, again, on our show notes page, jabadoo.com slash show24. That's all from me. So until next time, go teach. Thank you so much for listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more evidence-based strategies for improving your educational career, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get the next episode as soon as it is released. If you think this information was beneficial and you think more teachers should hear it, the greatest compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a colleague, either through a text message, email, or social media. And last but not least, if you think more teachers need to hear more of what we are talking about, please go leave us a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice. And that will simply let the algorithm know that you are finding value in this content and it will help boost our show to the top of the list when people search for education shows. Thank you. I appreciate you. And I will see you on the next episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast. <laughs>